Before we get going with this great interview with Dr. Joe Rigney, I wanted to give a shout out to Crossway Books. As I was talking to Dr. Rigney, we were talking about his books, The Things of Earth, and his new work, Strangely Bright, which are related works. We'll talk about that in the show today. But I wanted to give a shout out to Crossway because they sent me some free copies of these books. And if you would like a copy, just reach out to me. And if I've got one left, I'll hook you up with it. So Crossway, thank you so much. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to talk to a man who wrote one of the best books I read, I think it's been two years ago now, The Things of Earth, and this is Dr. Joe Rigney. Dr. Rigney, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Hey, yeah. No, thanks for coming on. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that unites us as brothers. I ask that you would guide this discussion. Holy Spirit, put a big big spotlight on Jesus and help us as we're, we're thinking through several different things, the academic world, uh, the pastoral life, the life of a pastor, and, and as we just glean wisdom from Dr. Ragney. I pray that uh, you'd help us to hear and to listen, to respond, and we trust that you're going to help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for those who don't know you or may not be that familiar with you, would you go ahead and just tell us, just give an overview, tell us a little bit about yourself, tell us about your family, and then what it is that you do. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I, um, I'm a, uh, I would say I'm a professor by day and a pastor by night. Um, so I'm a professor at Bethlehem college and seminary in, uh, Minneapolis where I teach, um, a professor of theology and literature. So, um, so the bulk of my teaching actually is in, um, great books. So our, our, our college teaches great books in light of the greatest book for the sake of the great commission. So the the three greats there. Um, and, uh, I tend to, uh, teach primarily in the, the great book side. So this semester I'm teaching, you know, Shakespeare and John Milton and Jane Austen and stuff like that. Uh, but I also teach some stuff on Jonathan Edwards and then have a, a Bible background. I, you know, went to seminary here at Bethlehem. Um, and my, my, uh, doctorate is, uh, in, uh, theology in, uh, historical theology on Jonathan Edwards. So that's kind of the the professor side in, in a nutshell. I'm also a pastor at Cities Church. Um, we planted Cities about five and a half years ago out of Bethlehem. Um, we meet in St. Paul. And uh, and so I'm a pastor there. Um, I, I uh, preach about uh, a quarter of the time. So we have a team preaching model. Okay. And so I, I preach about a quarter of the time. And uh, <clears throat> so I do that. And then um, family-wise, uh, I, I'm married to my, uh, Jenny. Uh, we've been married now f- 15 years, uh, come October. Fantastic. And, uh, we have three boys. Um, Sam's 11, Peter's nine and Jack is uh, one and a half. Um, and then we have a dog named Crockett. So we just, <laughs> we just, we just got a puppy uh, in June. So, um, that's been a fun deal. So, um, and then, uh, kind of beyond that, uh, really interested love baseball, come from a baseball family. Wife comes from a baseball family. Um, my boys love baseball. So we do, we do lots of baseball, um, around our house is kind of our, our big family hobby. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I'm, I'm on boards of different things. I'm, you know, in the classical Christian school stuff. So I'm, I'm on the board of our local, uh, classical Christian school and on the board of the, the association of classical Christian schools, which is the na- national group, um, and do some things, uh, in that vein and then write some books and, um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a yeah. nutshell there. Fantastic. So you're wearing multiple hats multiple times yeah. and, 
you're training a dog to pee outside of the house. Yes, trying very hard. He's <laughs> sort of getting it. You know, we've, we've got two little boys. We've got a little girl on the way. And a lot of people have asked us, you know, why don't we have a dog? And we had a dog when we first got married for like the first four, three or four years. And then we had our first son uh-huh. and the dog lasted about six months. So, man, I want to give you credit yeah. because your patience is, is pretty amazing to have children and then to get a dog as well. So, well, well, we, well, we waited until they were 11. I mean, part of it was, you know, given how busy we are, could we handle it? But having an mm-hmm. 11 and nine year old, some of it was they really wanted one. Um, and we thought, um, there's a twofer here um, because they really want it and it's going to be a lot of work. And so we're going to give them both a dog and a lot of work. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, and so they're, they're at the age when they can actually um, do a lot of the stuff, um, which has been, which has been good. So, you know, you guys, it's your dog. You have to go take him out for a walk. You have to go clean up after him. You got to do all that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, so it's been, it's been good. I don't know that we would have been able to do it when our kids were uh, younger for sure. Yeah. Very good. Now, at some point, there was a Moscow-Idaho connection as well. Didn't you go to New St. Andrews or spend some time out there or something like that as well? Yep. So, um, so yeah, educationally, I, I've got a BA from Texas A&M. Um, so that's where I grew up in, in Texas. And I'm gonna, okay. I went to Texas A&M for undergrad, came up to uh, Bethlehem and went to seminary. Um, and, uh, and so I ended up getting an MA here. It was before we had an MDiv program. So I, I finished with an MA uh, here and then um, got the job teaching in our fledgling college at the time and basically needed to kind of fill out some of my education. So, um, since I was going to be teaching great books and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I went out to Moscow, uh, and got a master's there in classical Christian studies. Um, and then from there, uh, did my PhD with union school of theology in the UK. Fantastic. We watched Man Rampant last year, and so we saw you on that first episode. Yeah. My wife and I enjoyed that series and enjoyed enjoyed the episode that you were on as well. So yeah. good work in that. Give a little Man Rampant plug. Yeah. Okay. So so with these multiple hats, you're you're in pastoral ministry as well. We've got a lot of young guys that are listening that uh, have are navigated or are currently navigating a call into ministry, and so they've got mm-hmm. that internal impulse of of feeling desire to preach the word or to shepherd shepherd God's people and to to care for them. And then going through the process of either getting getting their education or or doing an internship at a church or having elders that are overseeing their spiritual development and moving towards pastoral ministry. So would you give them an up, tell them what your call, both internal and external call into ministry was like for you? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I grew up in, in West Texas um, and uh, my family became serious Christians. They were nominal Christians before this, but uh, when I was probably early or mid elementary, um, and so I was baptized, um, in a Southern Baptist church in, um, Midland, Texas when I was about 12 and I was baptized with my dad. So he had, he had, um, you know, been raised kind of nominal Catholic. And so, um, mm. but being involved in that church was kind of how his conversion happened. So we were baptized together. And I would say within a couple of years after that, probably late junior high, early high school, um, we, so we joined a church plant, um, out of our church and it was there that, um, Basically, a lot of it was I was watching my pastor and what he was doing, mm-hmm. um, and I just thought, man, I, I want to do that. <laughs> and right. so it was it was a really simple sort of, um, I, I like what he's doing. It seems like I, I would like to do that. Um, and I had had other interests. You know, I was a you know, big, uh, played high school football, and so I thought about being a coach for a while, uh, thought about being a lawyer for a while. Um, I've always been pretty um, yeah, good student, that kind of thing. And so, and I, and I talk well, so... Um, but uh, so I started to have kind of that desire, you know, being at church and, and seeing what he was doing and said, I think I'd like to do that someday. Um, when I went off to college, that's when I got into Piper. And so then that mm-hmm. just kind of like double clicked on that, on that desire. 
um, because uh, the thing that Piper added was uh, a real focus on expositional preaching. My, my uh, pastor in high school wasn't as much expositional, more topical. Um, and so it was the expositional piece that really grabbed me. And I thought, man, the way he just kind of walks through a passage and helps you to see what's there um, is pretty amazing. And I want to help people to do that. I want to preach mm. in such a way yeah. that, um, that, that the Bible lights up for people. And so Piper was a big influence uh, in sort of uh, continuing that internal call. And so then when I found out they had an apprenticeship, I was like, that's, I want to go up there and learn right. how to, how to do the Christian hedonism thing with legs on it. <laughs> um, and then kind of, uh, and so, I, you know, in that I was, you know, working as a camp counselor and doing some things like that um, during the summers. And so there's opportunities for ministry there. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, ministering on college campuses, you know, I was a college student, but, you know, doing some discipleship with different, different groups mm-hmm. and, uh, and, a, and a lot of it. So I would say, um, the extra, so internally it was like, I really want to do this. Um, and I think I can do this. Um, externally, what kept happening was on the one hand, um, frequent affirmations, um, that I, that I had a gift for it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would teach. Um, and people would get help. People would, I would be able to explain things in a way that people would get help in Bible studies and things like that. And I, and I enjoy, I could, I was into it. I enjoyed it. And I could see that people, things were clicking. Yeah. The other side of it though, was, um, frequent doors shutting in my face. Okay. So, um, desire to do this. And so any opportunities that would come up, I'd be like, I'll do it. I'll do it. And, and I would say pretty frequently in those kind of college years, especially, and maybe even a little bit after that there were doors that would just kind of get shut hmm. um, yeah, where opportunities that I thought, man, I would, I, I'm a perfect fit for this. Um, and it would just be a no. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, positions I would apply for things I would try to do that were, that were no's. And uh, now looking back and, and if I could talk to my, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old self, um, I would really double down on how good I think that was for me mm-hmm. um, because each one of those no's, uh, was basically a gut check moment on why do you really want to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, is it, is it the spotlight? Do you just, you know, you want to be up in front of people and have people look at you, listen to you, respect you, admire you. Is that what this is about? Um, or do you really want people to get help and you don't care how they get help as long as they get help. Um, and so when I would get sort of passed over, you know, I, so, you know, and I, I think one time I was running for a, I was in a Christian fraternity and I was running for a position there that would have allowed me to do some more ministry more, more broadly. And I didn't get it like a couple of years in a row. And it kept kind of, it was a gut check of, do you want to do this because the truth has to come through you? Or do you want to do this because you want the truth to get to people and you don't, you're not really concerned with how it gets there. And so those were opportunities basically when somebody else got the job that I wanted or the, the role that I wanted um, am I going to assist that and help to multiply that? Or am I going to kind of, you know, pout in the corner because I didn't get my shot. Hmm. Um, and so that, that happened a bunch, <laughs> um, more than I would, you know, I didn't like it. It was unpleasant all the way across the board. Hmm. But at the same time, when, um, when I would have the opportunities to lead Bible studies, there was sort of confirmation. So it was a good mix for me externally of yes, you're on a good path and no, you're not ready to, you know, be trusted with the glowing ball of responsibility because you're only 19 and you need to wait. Right. Right. Um, and so that's, that was a big part of my, um, and, and I think at some point I, I wised up to that and stopped chafing as much under the nose, under the closed doors mm-hmm. and instead reoriented to, I want to be faithful with the little that God's given me. So if I, if I can't coordinate all the Bible studies, 
in the group, but I can do my little Bible study. I just want to do that really well and be available if they need help with other stuff. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of became a pretty, you know, um, you know, standard way of, of approaching all kinds of ministry is be faithful with the little. Um, and then um, I couldn't, if, if you'd have told me, if you'd have told my 20 year old self that in, um, you know, Let's, let's, let's jump ahead to end of college. So I, we've been in Minneapolis 15 years. If you would have told my, my, me 15 years ago when I was applying to Bethlehem uh, College or TBI at the time, um, hey, in, in 15 years, you're going to be a professor um, at, at John Piper's school and a pastor of a church plant, um, and you're going to have written four or five books, I would have said, no, no way that's going to happen. <laughs> right. That, that would, that's amazing. And yet the path that it took to get here is not one that I could have charted in advance because it was basically um, you do the next thing. And then if the door opens, you do the next thing. And if the door opens and you don't try to map out. So, um, and that there's a whole bunch there I can talk about in relation to how, because I I came here wanting to be a, I came to seminary because I wanted to be a pastor and a church planner. And then all of a sudden ended up in the academic side Mm -hmm. of things. And so there was these detours all along the way um, and big decisions had to get made. Um, so anyway, there's a whole bunch of yeah. other stuff there, but go where you want. That, that's good. So Joe, how old are you now? Are you, uh, almost 38, about the same age. I first got into John Piper when I was in college for mm-hmm. future grace, I think was the first book okay. that I read. And just like so many others, my, my world was turned upside down. And then I started, you know, listening to sermons and, and reading more mm-hmm. books that he had written. And at the time, it was this weird thing because I was reading Gregory Boyd as well, who was up there where in, wow. in Minnesota yep. as well. Yep. And I, I was just confused and young and didn't know any better. I was taking, I was at a Wesleyan Holiness Pentecostal yep. College in Eastern yep. Tennessee. And so I was reading Clark Pinnock for my, my education and, and uh, went down the rabbit trail of atheism for a while. And uh, what was it? Velvet Elvis came out and I was trying to look for Mars Hill church and found Mark Driscoll on accident, oh, you know, yep. <laughs> like, wait a minute, this guy's saying something different here. I think this uh-huh. is a little bit different, but you know, the Lord called, called me into ministry and it, and there's been ups and downs and it's been similar to yours in the, in, in the sense that I didn't expect it to go the way it's been and uh, mm-hmm. the way it went. And it, there's been a lot of painful processes along the way, but it's been shaping. It's been mm-hmm. the path that God has had for me to build me into the husband and the father and mm-hmm. and the man that I am. And that's that's continuing in, in process as everybody mm-hmm. is. But uh, you get into Christian hedonism then. You go up to this school and mm-hmm. fast forward, I don't know, a decade or so. I don't know when the things of earth came out. And I've got yeah. on my shelf your book you read wrote on C.S. Lewis as well. I've not read that one yet. And you've got a new mm-hmm. book, Strangely Bright. But And I was wondering real quick, was that kind of a uh, is that a similar or complimentary book, I'm assuming, to Things of Earth? Yeah, so Things of Earth is the big book, you know, a couple hundred pages mm-hmm. um, on uh, treasuring God by enjoying his gifts. And after I wrote it, um, it's got some pretty heavy-duty theology in there, and it's, it can be thick. Um, and so guys like you eat it up and really enjoy it, and it's helpful. Um, other people get intimidated and can't get past the first couple of chapters. So um, pretty soon after I wrote it, there was a desire to try to make a more accessible mm. version um, basically if you really like things of earth, here's a book you can give to your mom. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a bit. So, um, so it is, it's a, it's a, it's not just an abridgment or something. It's a repackaging, but it's the okay. same basic substance as the other. Okay. So let's, let me ask you this. Okay. How did you get into, what was the first resource that you read from John Piper? And then the things of earth, 
to me seems like a corrective, not necessarily of what John Piper said in Desiring God or even with mm-hmm. his Christian hedonism, but a conclusion, I think an unnecessary conclusion that a lot of people jump to, like myself, who felt guilty every time I went to Dairy Queen to get a Dairy Queen blizzard and mm-hmm. felt like I couldn't do that because if, if I enjoyed that cookie dough too much or didn't, I don't want to love my wife too much because God may take her away, that kind yeah. of thing. So yeah. how did you, what, what brought you in? What was the first resource with, with Piper? And then how did you avoid some of the pitfalls that a lot of people fall into and get to the point where you wrote the things of earth? Yeah. Uh, first Piper resource, um, they were, it was sermons. I, I actually was downloading Piper sermons off of Napster. Oh, wow. So that's, <laughs> so, that was my, uh, yeah, that was my, you know, encounter with Piper was, was, was downloading sermons off of Napster, nice. which eventually led me, I think to the, the website. And so I would read things there and then I can't actually remember I mean, probably desiring God was the first book. Okay. Um, but it was, it was more to the sermons that were the, you know, there was a long, I think there was a more of a sermon period before there was a book period. Right? But, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, when I came up here, um, I had all kinds of tendencies, um, internalized from, uh, from Christian hedonism, many of which were good. And some of which were, um, kind of warped by youthful enthusiasm. Hmm. So the way that I applied and thought through wartime mentality, um, uh, was kind of off, I think, mm-hmm. um, was, a, was an overcorrection. Uh, and, and then there were other kind of, you know, vague guilt type stuff that had kind of settled in. And, uh, and so, uh, a couple of things eventually like led me to do it. One was marriage, um, okay. because I kept having to get confronted with various, um, you know, basically, um, I was, war- I had a wartime mentality. Um, but my, my pet pur- purchases got exempted somehow. Like, so mm-hmm. books, books somehow were always wartime. <laughs> right. There's always was, money for more books, right? Yes. Yeah. Th- those were strategic, right? So yes. Owen's mortification of sin. You're saying my holiness is not wartime. Yeah. Um, uh, but somehow my wife's interests, my wife, mm-hmm. the things that my wife loved and that were edifying to her in my mind, didn't have, weren't wartime enough. And so yep. there were sort of um, low, low grade uh, marital conflicts mm. where she was saying, but this isn't consistent. You're, you're kind of, this isn't consistent. And what are you doing? And so that kind of created a certain kind of, um, low grade tension under there that was kind Mm -hmm. of churning for a while. Um, I think, uh, then recognizing that that was present in other people around, Mm -hmm. you know? So in other words, that this was not a, just a Rigney thing. This was a common, common to man sort of thing, um, among, in our circles. Um, Doug Wilson was really influential in that and sort of pinpointing and identifying some of the, those tendencies and, and naming them. Um, let me interject a thought real quick and then and yeah. keep this thought, the, this process going here. Um, do you think that it was a misunderstanding of Christian hedonism or is it something that Piper did articulate that a lot of people latched onto that he is maybe saying, okay, I could have been more clear on that or um, what no, do you think? I, no, I don't think, I don't think it would be, he want to be more clear. I, I think um, the way I describe it is um, so when I wrote things of earth, it, it, it's not, it, I wouldn't describe it as corrective as much as expansion. Okay. So I want to push supremacy of God in all things into the all things mm-hmm. um, and figure out what that means. Whereas John's ministry has been largely devoted to accenting supremacy of God, mm-hmm. right? right? Over all things. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, he's wanted to hit that drum. He's got one note and he plays it again and again and again in all the different ways. And then, I want to sit there and go, okay, but it's the all things. How exactly? Yeah. And so oftentimes, you know, the way that he and I've talked over the years is positionally, 
um, are, we're almost identical across the board. Like if you were to just write out on paper, what's, what's your position on this, how you apply Christian hedonism in these places, Mm -hmm. um, where we differ is in terms of our suspicions and our instincts. Okay. So, which typically has to do with what you think the greatest dangers are for people. Um, and what you think, what kind of correctives you're, what kind of, you know, walls you're wanting to put up so people don't veer off. Uh And John's ministry has largely been, you know, oriented to, um, sort of exploding, you know, middle-class American, um, comfort and ease with right. the radicalness of, you know, God-centeredness and Christ exalting and all of that sort of stuff. And the, mm-hmm. and the call to suffer and self and deny yourself and wartime and all that kind of stuff. So he's, he's largely been, been going after that. Um, and so as a result, people naturally sit there and go, okay, yes, I'm on board, but then now what do I do with my wife and my kids and my house and all of that yeah. sort of stuff? And that that I enjoy, that I enjoy. That's yes. a, that is a gift from the Lord. And so then I'm coming in behind that and saying, Hey, Piper does have some pretty good stuff to say about all of that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to expand it, fill it out and kind of uh, in some ways reframe it or introduce some categories. So, um, you know, obviously one of my goals in writing things of earth is I want to write a book about enjoying <laughs> the things of earth that Piper would write forward to. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want it to be a sort of thing that was, right. was, was not seen as um, this is a correction because I don't think it was. Um, but more of a, yes, that, you know, Joe's done some thinking on, on these sort of things that really takes Christian hedonism into uh, some different areas, which, yeah. which, you know, and just to, to John's credit on this kind of stuff, I think one of the, you know, Im- immense blessings, uh, of having been around him now for 15 years is just how, um, you know, his, his desire to see kind of like Christian hedonism, um, multiply and grow, and grow fruitful in, in subsequent generations and not mm-hmm. simply, say, you know, it's got to be exactly the way I did it, said it, whatever, but that there, that if it's going to, if it's true, it needs to sort of be incarnated and embodied in different ministry expressions, different approaches. Um, and he, he's very much welcomed that, um, even, even as he's had opinions and, and, you know, yeah. uh, things about, you know, Hey, so we've had all kinds of conversations where I've said, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about saying, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I'm going to write this in the book. And he would, and then he would say, yeah, but what about that? And it's usually whatever the, that is, is something I hadn't been thinking about and that I needed to think about um, in order to be faithful to the Bible. That's good. Well, the, the fruit of your labor has been experienced, enjoyed here in Southern Illinois. We've planted five years ago and one of the founding pastors of our church, he's, he's not with us anymore. He went and now he's at another church about 45 minutes away, but we're still really dear friends. The things of earth was really helpful for a lot of us. And, um, I appreciate it. I appreciate the, the labor that goes into writing and the difficulty that, uh, is pressing on writing another chapter and taking what's in here yeah. and putting it down on paper. And the difficulty of that is a lot of people don't know that. And so thank you for, for the work. Now you've been in two different worlds though. You've been in a, let's talk eschatology for a minute. You've been in a classical premillennial center in, yeah. you know, the seminary you serve. And I, I know that there's probably not a standard position that you all have to embrace. Then you right. were in Moscow. Um, not Moscow. I've, I've learned Moscow and been in a, you know, a a partial preterist post-millennial center that, which is Moscow. Where do you land on eschatology? Is that something you talk openly about? Where where, where do you land now? Um, so I've, um, I've got all kinds of questions. You, so, uh, this last pastor's conference, I think the most recent one, um, I was on a panel where this was the issue and I was the, um, I was the post-mill guy on the, on the panel representing the post-mill with Owen Strand and, couple other guys, um, representing other positions. And I'd say, I've got, I've got lots of questions still about eschatology. It's one of the areas of theology that 
frustrates me and humbles me because of how complex and how I can't quite get all the pieces to fit in a way that really makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my leanings are all kind of in that same partial preterist, um, post-millennial, mm-hmm. but, but the, the thing that I care most about when it comes to eschatology is more, um, you know, um, all the, all the Orthodox positions agree on the big stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all, it's all. And then the question is disposition in the meantime. So mm-hmm. how hopeful are you about, um, the gospel's activity in the world between now and when Jesus comes back, whenever, right. whenever you think that is. And I think that we ought to be very hopeful, um, about that. Even if you think in the present sort of season, it being hopeful means being hopeful in suffering or persecution or in the middle of a downgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I, I want to put more, uh, accent on that hopefulness about mm-hmm. the gospel's advance um, and how deep it can penetrate into a society um, over against sort of the train schedule eschatology stuff about this the timing and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I've got, I've, I've got more questions there than I have answers. Um, whereas the uh, great commission with all authorities belongs to Jesus. We have a mission and he's promised mm-hmm. to be with us should, should make us pretty, hopeful that whatever he wants us to do can be done. Yeah, that's good. Well, you're talking to the right guy because I have all the answers when it comes to eschatology. Sweet. I've got it all figured out. Okay, good. <laughs> you can just send me those, send me that link later, uh, okay? Right, yeah, yeah, we'll do. So I, I love it because all this stuff seems to, seems to, in my mind, come together. So so the the Kuyperian influence of Doug Wilson and everything that comes from out there and this idea of, and I don't even know where you are in the two kingdom, one kingdom thing, but this idea of the things of, the, of, the things of yeah. earth, post-millennialism, it seems to all go together. And for me, in any ways, a lot of these thoughts have kind of convoluted together and really brought a lot of clarity to me about how yep. I face life today, what I'm expecting with my family, and right. then moving forward, what am I expecting yep. with my children's children and, and all of that. Now, I, we're a Southern Baptist church. We totally. planted, five, as I said, about five years ago. We're also part of a network uh, as well. And we're wrestling through what our relationship is going to be with Southern Baptist convention and with this other network as well, based on things that are happening. There's a a severe lack of courage in so many places and pockets within evangelicalism. And, uh, but at this point we're, that's where we're at. You are at a Baptist seminary and you spend time out there. So I want to do a little compare and contrast here here again. Where are you at? Are are you, you're still a Baptist? What what has kept you a Baptist with Doug Wilson being a friend? Yeah. Right. Um, uh, part of it is, um, some of the two kingdom stuff. So, um, being able to develop categories for thinking through theological doctrines and what things are sort of essential to the doctrine and what things are adiaphora, what things are indifferent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've got, I've got a, I've had a pretty, you know, interesting kind of hookerite Richard Hooker influence, um, and sort of the two kingdoms approach to a mm-hmm. lot of those questions, which, um, which plays itself out in um, still thinking that the Bible teaches that baptism is uh, by immersion for believers, mm-hmm. but but looking at the timing and the mode of baptism as um, not not necessarily essential to the legitimacy of a baptism. So I'm I would say um, I would recognize pedo baptisms as legitimate, but sort of uh, what's the term we always use. Um, I think I'm going to blank on it here. I know what you're talking about. Improper, I can't improper, yeah, improper baptisms. Go. So, um, John you know, so Bunyan-esque, kind of like yes, John exactly, Bunyan. Exactly. Yep. So improper baptisms. Um, so yes, it was a baptism. So water and the triune name are essential in ways that timing and mode aren't. So you, okay. you got the timing, the mode wrong, 
But the fact that you got timing and mode and mode wrong doesn't mean that it wasn't a real baptism. You, it mm-hmm. wasn't. So, um, so I've got a category for valid, but improper. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that category for me has kind of come through that reformational magisterial reformational two kingdoms mm-hmm. vein is what okay. helped me to get some of those categories. So because of that, I'm able to be a, a happy Baptist. Um, but one who's, this is one of my, my friends, David Mathis puts it, a happy Baptist who's happy to welcome others. Yeah. Um, I like that. And, and so, um, and so I don't have the same kind of, I don't, I don't mean this necessarily in even a negative way, a sectarian tendency yeah. that doesn't recognize the legitimacy of baptisms, or other, other, uh, communions. Um, and, uh, and so, and then, so that's, that's how I, I put it together and, and still think, yeah, the, this is what I think the Bible is doing. Um, it tends not to be as much of a, I don't put the same kind of emphasis on, mm-hmm. on it. It's not a, um, I don't think it's a first tier issue for very many people at all. But um, for me, it is much lower on the scale of um, of importance, mm-hmm. um, whereas other things I think are, are more central in terms of partnering with churches and things like that. Yeah, that's good. All we're, right. but, but my church is we're uh, SBC as well. We're a North okay. American Mission Board plant. And yeah. Okay. All, all in that same same world. Yep. That's two. That's two. So um, okay, switch gears a little <clears throat> bit. Uh, 2020 has been such a unique year. Everybody knows it. It's been a great year for us. My son just became a Christian just two days ago. So just congratulations. That's amazing. Oh man. We're so excited. We're just uh, watching the hunting public on YouTube where we, I've been getting into hunting last couple of years. And so we were watching hunting and he turned to me and said, dad, it's time for me to be a Christian. And so we, we just, uh, it's time for me to get saved is what he said. Yeah. Okay. And so we had, we've been having conversations for a while and it was just, it was awesome. So 2020 is is really shaping up to be just a great year. And in our church, we've experienced some really great things as well. And a lot of people meeting Jesus and a a lot for a church plan. I'm not talking, you know, like like the big churches have 150 baptisms, you know, 200 people become Christians in one day or whatever. Uh, but yeah. it's been a, it's been a great year, but what I think 2020 has done is it has exposed and it's pruned. Um, it's, it's made okay. the church healthier and it's exposed the church for being unhealthy. And yep. so several different things are happening at once. And I, I think, uh, one of the things that's been exposed is that pastors, I think were ill, Ill prepared when it comes to just a practical application of the inerrancy and the authority of scripture. And uh-huh. I think as I've been observing, the response to John MacArthur and some differing things that are happening from state to state. It seems to me that uh, the, the emphasis on being a missional church over the last 20 to 25 years has catechized us to be unable to obey God if it costs us our public witness. And so mm-hmm. public witness has become, it seems to me, the idol that everything else has to bow down to as Christians. And so it's made us vulnerable to disobey God to preserve something we think we have to preserve to still be missional. Yep. And I could be wrong on that assessment, but as you're looking at pastoral ministry and as, as everything is unfolding in 2020, uh, how can a pastor that's just listening in or somebody that may, may be just going into ministry, how can a pastor be a man who does not stick his finger up in the air to, to catch the wave of popular opinion? How, do you, how can a man avoid that and just running down there and just being just a run-of-the-mill guy who's saying the exact same things everybody else is saying and instead be a man who, of conviction who believes in God's word and is not ashamed at all or embarrassed at all about what God has to say about any given topic. Yeah. Oh man, that's a, that's a big question. So I'll just, I'll take off the things that I can think of that in my circumstance that, that have helped. So on the one hand, I'd say um, one of the, one of the words that we use a lot, again, this is coming for me out of the, you know, reformational two kingdoms thing is the importance of prudence or wisdom. Mm-hmm. 
And the reason that word matters, uh, that, that concept matters, is because the issues that we're facing on a lot of these things are very complicated. Mm-hmm. So whether, whether you're talking about the political realm, whether you're talking about the protests and all that kind of side of things, um, the economy, you know, there's all, especially when, when you're talking about how does the, how does Christianity speak into these other areas? Mm-hmm. The, clo- the, the more you're getting down into the weeds, the more complicated it's going to get. And therefore, the more wise you have to be in sorting through it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a danger of going off half cocked um, on, on all sides. So we, we um, as a pastoral team, we really value prudence and recognize the complexity of, of things. And, okay. so, um, and so because of that, now the danger of, of focusing on prudence is that it can make you, um, we're not going to say anything that mm-hmm. would, we, because we can see how complicated it is. Well, if we say that, then it's going to be you to this and it, you can try to outthink it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a second thing there is this is where I think a, a team of pastors is a really valuable thing. Team of elders, whatever you want to call them. That's good. So in our, in our context, you know, we, we're a young church, but we have eight, um, elders. Um, and we, did you plant team. Joe, did you plant with a plurality as well? So when Correct. you started, you had a plurality already. We, we had four elders when we started. Now, granted, that was an, that's, I think that's unusual in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we came out of Bethlehem, which is a big church okay. and has lots of, you know, young leaders. So there's, right. you know, it's, there's, there's, um, blessings that we have that aren't necessarily available to all, but you know, we've in our first five years here, we've planted um, three other churches in the Twin Cities, um, all of which we planted as teams. So we don't plant okay. solo guys. We don't, we don't airdrop that's somebody great. in. We plant teams because um, we think that that's going to serve the long-term health and stability of a church um, really well. And it has, yep. it's, that's certainly been the case for us because this gets back to what we said, talked earlier about, you know, Piper and I having the same position, but different instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, frequently it's a good, it's a good thing on a pastoral team to have different instincts. So there's guys on our team who, when, the, when, whenever, whatever the latest thing is in the news, when it comes, um, positionally, we're all in the same spot, but instinct wise, we react differently. Right. And, and that is a really valuable thing to avoid blind spots. It means that I, as one man, don't have to have 360 vision to see all mm-hmm. the dangers coming from all directions, but instead can kind of go, I'm, I'm wired this way. I kind of filter Good. things in this way. So I can look at sort of, you know, this 90 degree spot. And then I've got three other guys who are doing their 90 degree spot. And because of that back to back, we can keep our eyes up all around and we can push on each other. And so mm-hmm. one of the, one of the things for pastors, I think that's really important especially if you're going to try to do any kind of plurality is do you view the different instincts and tendencies and ways of processing, whatever you want to call it on your pastoral team as an asset or a liability, Mm, because there's ways in which man, we're always locking horns. Every time something comes up, he wants to lean this way and I want to lean that way. And we're always button heads Mm -hmm. Um, on our team. That's like one of the great strengths. It makes everybody better. If you can have honest conversations about things and say, Here's how I'm thinking about it. Well, I don't yeah. think it, I don't see it that way. And and um, you grow in mutual respect for each other, which means you can grow in trust for each other um, by having that, which then provides a core for a church um, that is more stable than than it otherwise would be. So for us, mm-hmm. uh, the, the team thing is um, is not just a, well, the Bible says we have to do it. Um, you know, it says plurality is a good way to do it, so we're going to do it that way. Right. For us, it's really like man, this is woven into how we think about. Um, church life, church planting, the whole mm-hmm. whole nine yards, and how when we speak about things, we lean on the team and the team's wisdom regularly. Which means sometimes 
we don't get our way, right? Like, yeah. like I, I think we should do this. And the other guys are going, no, we're not going to do it that way. That's not a good idea. And, and I have to sit there and go, okay, I'm, yeah. I trust you guys. Well, um, I think it's crucial in, in that same line of, of having actual elders rather than an elder team with the name only or the title only. And, and, right. and for an elder team to have backbone and prudence together to be able to stand yep. when everybody else is running with the masses, it requires yep. not just a, a plurality in name only, it requires actually qualified elders. And so for the, for the young guys listening out there, there's such an advantage. And, and I get to share in the same sort of experience you're, you're you know, living in right now with that plurality. We planted with three elders. We currently have four elders. We're sending our first church plant and two of our elders are going to plant there yep. together as a team. And then we've got two more guys that's going to be coming on at our church. And so the great thing has been, we've got guys that are like-minded and yet you're exactly what you're talking about, that it's a good way to, uh, to put words to thoughts that we've had, but, um, that really complement each other well and, and see things a little bit differently, but are all grounded in actual biblical elders qualified to be elders. And so don't just be quick to see the guys that are around you and say, Hey, here's a plurality here. Make sure that you actually have qualified men in, in that, uh, in that title with that title elder. Yep. And the, the, I think the other thing um, that we've really seen is, is um, one of the um, unfortunate things about the way we tend to talk is we talk about sort of the church in America or something like that mm-hmm. when um, there's not there. I mean, there is and there isn't meaning um, my challenge is we have, so we're, we're pastoring an urban church. We are in, we, we are in St. Paul, um, right smack dab between downtown St. Paul and downtown Minneapolis. So we're a young urban church. You're at a you're at a rural church in Illinois, right? Which means that from for a, from a congregational perspective, the sorts of things that are shaping our congregation are probably a little bit different than the sort of things that are shaping your congregation mm-hmm. in terms of background, in terms of demographics. There's all right. sorts of differences, and wise pastors are not. Um, I, there's there's a this is one of the ways I think social media, even the the larger sort of Christian movement type thing can, can be misleading because pastors can get sucked into the online world and, and uh, say that's, that's real life. And so right. they preach based on what their Twitter feed or their Facebook thing is saying, which isn't necessarily what's going on in their actual congregation. Mm. And so we have a, a pretty, so we're, you know, we have guys, uh, our pastors are some of them dialed in more and, you know, we're, we're all pretty dialed into what's going on in the broader world, but we never preach to the broader world. Yeah, that's good. That makes sense. We, we yeah. preach to our people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we are always mindful of what are they coming in with? What are the challenges they're facing? How, what are they reading? Like we try to keep tabs on like, what, what are the things that are influencing them? Mm-hmm. Um, because we want to be aware of these people because that's who we're responsible for. I'm not responsible for your church mm-hmm. other than in a sort of a general generic way. Uh, and I'm not going to, and answer for it. And so I don't want to preach my sermons as though I was talking to someone in rural Illinois or in Alabama. I want to talk to some people in St. Paul um, because that's who God's put in front of me. And what that, what that does is it means that um, when I see other pastors leaning different ways in their contexts, mm. I don't, sw- I, it's the same principle. I sit there and I go, I hope that that's because they, they're seeing things on the ground where they are that they really need to address um, even if I sit there and go, I'm not seeing that where I'm at. I'm, that's mm-hmm. not my problem. Yeah. Um, right. And so, you know, when we talk about uh, slippery slopes and, and things like that, um, there's not just one slippery slope. There's usually multiple. And part of it is trying to determine what's the slippery slope where you are. Like mm. what, what's the danger? And so I can imagine a church 
in which um, it would take some courage for a pastor to say um, sharp things about the the president of the United mm-hmm. about Trump. Like, it, in other words, like to to wade into some of that or to push on some of that would be hard. In my context, it, it wouldn't be that hard. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't. Right. It doesn't take because because of the kind of we're in an urban environment where that's not that's not the main issue. Um, it takes courage to say other things. And so one of the one of the tests that we run through as a as a team is uh, I've got an article on this. I think at Gospel Coalition about. Okay on slippery slope if, if your listeners want to go find it. Um, but it's basically which, which truth um, do you hesitate to say out loud? Mm-hmm. So part of being a pastor is developing a kind of self-awareness where, um, so, you know, ask yourself this kind of question. Um, if you're going to, okay, you're going to do a sermon on you and your, your pastoral team are going to do a series on, on the family. Um, and week one is going to be husbands love your wives. And week two is going to be wives submit to your husbands. Okay, and you guys get to decide who gets to preach one. Which which one do you get excited about preaching, and which one do you kind of go, "Ooh, that's going to be tough." Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't feel that either way. Maybe you go, "Man, I'm excited about both." And I'd say, "Great, that's awesome." But frequently, we there's we come to passages and go, "Man, if I preach this, I'm going to have to qualify it, nuance it, and and really kind of be careful." Whereas mm-hmm. this other one, I'm just going to just un- uncork and go down the middle. And and I, all I would want to say about that is. That that calls for some investigation. How yeah. come? Why why is it that certain truths feel like I can just uncork and, mm-hmm. and just say it straight and certain things really need to be qualified? And there could be really good reasons why you want to qualify it. Like it could be because you know that in our congregation we've got a number of so if you're if you feel a little hesitant about the wives submit to your husband, you know of a number of pastoral situations where you've got some women who are in abusive situations. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, man, I gotta be more careful when I talk about that than I do about the other. Yeah. So that's, that's the, again, prudence and wisdom, knowing your context, but investigating that and trying to determine what, what is the thing that I fear if I say it, I'm going to get some emails mm-hmm. and I need to interrogate. Why do I feel that? Why do I have that gut reaction and decide, is that a good gut reaction? Is that my, you know, is that um, God saying, yeah, hold up there. Um, mm-hmm. Think about this. Or is it that's cowardice because you don't right. want to ruffle the wrong feathers? That's good. So, so one is spirit led, a heart to shepherd your people. And the right. other one would be being ashamed of Jesus and his words. And you want Correct. to make sure that it would be the first rather than the latter. Correct. Um, yeah, that's good. Okay, well, let's, let's wrap this up. We've been going for a little while here. The time yeah. has flown. Yeah. Uh, two more questions for you. The first will be, um, where can, say, man, I've loved here in this interview, Dr. Ridney sounds like a great, 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 a really great guy. Where can I find some more stuff? So send us where we need to go to find more stuff that you've written or a yep. website you have or whatever. Yeah. So, um, a lot of the like articles and stuff are, are scattered abroad. I've, um, <laughs> there's not a one-stop shop, unfortunately. Uh, I've written a lot for desiring God. So you could find a bunch of stuff there. I've written some for the gospel coalition. You could find some stuff there and then you can just search around and find some other things there on, on the writing side in terms of, um, uh, the preaching side, I preach monthly or so at Cities Church uh, here in the Twin Cities. So cityschurch.com. Um, and uh, you can find my sermons as well as the others from our team. We, we preach expositionally. And so we have to coordinate. All right. I got I get the first, you know, eight verses and you got the next eight verses. And so we rotate like that. But you could find some sermons there. Um, and then uh, some conference messages, at Desiring God or chapel messages at bcsmn.edu. Bethlehem College and Seminary, Minnesota, bcsmn.edu. Um, we've got chapel messages there that I've done over the years on, on okay. and stuff. 
All right. Well, let's wrap it up with this. Dr. Joe Rigney, why do you love Jesus so much? Man, yeah, that was good. I'm glad you sent that one ahead of time because I, I, it's one of the ones that, I mean, I, why, why? Because um, mm-hmm. I do. And so I need, I need uh, what, what's a reason right now? Because there's lots of reasons. And I'd say <clears throat> the reason that feels most fresh to me um, is just that he's kept me. Hmm. Um, so <clears throat> in, you know, 37 years of life, um, there have been all sorts of stuff, good and bad that have happened. Um, the good one, the good things that have happened could have been temptations that would have pulled me away. Mm. The bad things that have happened could have been temptations that have, could, could have pulled me away at each, at each of those moments, there was sort of a choice, mm-hmm. um, of, you know, am I going to press into God or not? And all of them, I'm still here. Mm. And, and there's times when I can really wake up and go, I don't know how I'm, how am I still here? How, how am I still a faithful Christian? Um, knowing what's in my heart, knowing what's in the world, um, man, how, how did that happen? And it's, God's been faithful. And I, and, and I, I would say, um, it's not just that like I'm hanging on by a thread every minute, every day. There's been some times where it's felt like I'm hanging on by a thread. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I've had doubts with, with doubts and depressions over the years at various times. Um, and that I've needed him, needed Jesus in a special way, but even just in the, in the over having come through a bunch of those, there's a sense of, of a greater stability of like, I've planted my flag and it feels pretty secure. Like I'm not, uh, I don't, um, I don't want to be presumptuous in this because it is a, um, keep yourself in the love of God because you were being kept. It's that, it's that sort of principle, mm-hmm. but I have a stronger confidence that I will keep myself in the love, love of God because he's kept me. Amen. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so that, that's fresh. That's good. Well, I've been talking to Dr. Joe Rigney, Joe, I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.